Grace, thank you for bringing us into the Lord's presence. Beautiful. Well, we're doing something a little different this morning. I had on my heart uh, the importance of marriage and the significance of a wedding. And so I began to think about what, what does it mean in a wedding ceremony? All this strange stuff that occurs in a wedding ceremony. Is there any meaning behind it? And anyway, as I studied, uh, that's why we're at this passage. It looks a little unusual probably for a uh, message that deals on Love Sunday, as we call it. But if you'll stand in God's honor with me, we're in Genesis 15. I want to read verses 6 through 10. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Let's pray. Father, your salvation was not by chance, was not an accident. Father, we believe we are here not randomly, but thanks to your call. And Father, as we think about the importance of, of marriage and of Father taking that covenant vow, Lord, we are reminded that you reached out to us in covenant. You sent your son. I pray this morning as, Father, I stumble through your truth that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would be evident. Because uh, if you don't show up, we all wish we had. Thank you for showing up in the songs. Thank you for showing up in our giving. I ask that you show up, Father, in the remainder of our time. As we later are able to share in that covenant through what we call the Lord's Supper. How precious, Father. As we think of the greatest sacrifice of all. and How we actually share in it, Father, when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Just lead us, Lord. It's evident we need you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I don't even remember who said it, but years ago it was said. That when God wants to work, He starts with a man. He, he comes to a, a person, or it could be a woman, but He comes to a person and He, he speaks. He, he lays it on the heart. It, we call it a call. Or, or, you know, He visits that one. It, and He begins to move in that person. And it starts with a man. And then once God starts working, it becomes a movement. It goes way beyond that, man. It's obvious that the power is far beyond what he or she can do. As God moves, it becomes a movement. But here's the problem. After it becomes a movement, we lose sight of where it started, which was God speaking. And suddenly we become 
encased in the movement or the program. And after it becomes a movement, the final stage is it becomes a monument. My fear is for many of us that our faith is in the monument stage. We heard the call of Jesus Christ. We realized we were sinners. We realized we needed to come to Him. He spoke to us. We came to Christ. And and then we began to want to love Him and serve Him and follow Him. But if we're not careful, we lose sight of that and it just becomes a monument. Just something empty to look at. Maybe a sweet, fond memory. (laughs) But that's all. The truth of the matter is... Our faith, how we live that faith, if we're not careful, it becomes ritual, something we do day after day, week after week. And when we come together on Sundays that we do worship service after worship service. At some point, God spoke and and then it became a movement as we began doing it regularly. But the key is, has it become just a monument, just something that's empty? And see, we're always close, guys. Whenever we do something week after week, we're so close to losing why we even do it. We have to re-examine. Why do we sing these songs? What are we singing? Why do we come to hear the preaching of the Word? What's that all about? Why do we give to the Lord? We can go through all of this. And as I thought about Abram in, in this text of Scripture... He's heard God's promise. God said, I will do a great work through you, Abraham. I'm taking you to the promised land. And I'm going to bless you. But Abraham's having problems. And, and we come to Genesis 15. He's, he's having his doubts. But he believes anyway. In verse 6, it says, Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. And after he speaks the Lord, after he speaks and says of who he is, Abram said, but Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of that land? God, I need to experience something with you. And I thought about love between a man and a woman. You know, it starts out with a wow factor. You know, you see her and it's like, wow. And she sees him, wow. But God's desire is it becomes a vow. That it doesn't just stay in the wow. Because the wow is not what lasts. It is the vow. It is the covenant vow. And so I begin to think back. Well, As you think about a wedding. Is, you, is it something you just want to get through? So, you know, you can be legally hitched. Well, what, it, what, what is the meaning behind the different aspects of the wedding? Is it just we want to... Make sure everybody sees we in the wow. What is the vow moment? And, and so I just want to uh, look at a number of these. It's interesting here in Genesis 15, 9 and 10. God is trying to comfort Abram. He's trying to speak to him. And, and he says to Abram, I, I, want, I want there to be a sacrifice. He's saying it's time for a covenant. It's time for you to realize, Abram, you are not alone. And when it comes time for a wedding, two people drawn together in love, drawn together by God's love, and it's time to make that covenant vow. It's time to say, we don't want to be alone with God. We want to be together. We 
to come together. And so God says to Abram, okay, you take these sacrifices, you cut them in half, and as you cut them in half, there is a trail in the middle that you walk down. This is a holy trail. We sang this morning, we are standing on holy ground. This was viewed in the ancient covenant. They, they would cut in half the sacrifices and there was a trail and the two would meet in the middle. And in that covenant, they would cut the right palms and join hands. And they would signify through that vow, we want to share our possessions. We want to make a covenant that we want to be together. And they would also exchange their cloaks and their belts. And there would be a connection of their names. As we think about the word covenant literally means to cut. It is that cutting and regrafting together that God does. So I, I just want to kind of march through these. I see there's a bunch of them. I won't spend too much time. Seating of the family on opposite sides of the church. There's the picture of the sacrifice. And as they walked down between the sacrifices and they met. And they made that covenant together. Their hearts and their minds still thought about the sacrifice. As you come into a wedding and people sit, you know, on one side the bride's family and the other side the groom's family. And, and the connection, the beauty of that, the tradition of that is these are people who have sacrificed for the bride and the groom. These are people who love the bride and the groom. And as they come together to celebrate as witnesses, they're there in support. And the truth of the matter is, in the Christian tradition of wedding, we all come under the sacrifice, don't we? Of Christ. It says in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, For he himself is our peace, who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Next is their center aisle and the runner. The holy ground, that center aisle, that place where you, you come. The place that's set aside to enter into an opportunity to meet with God. Remember when Moses saw the burning bush, and he heard the voice that said, take off your sandals for the place where you were standing. It's holy ground. And in a wedding ceremony, the two come together and Jesus said, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That center aisle is a place for them to come in the presence of witnesses and God to join in covenant ceremony. Then there's the seating of the parents. You don't just marry a person. You marry into a family. And the picture here is these people come from two separate families. And those families are to be honored. And there is a place of significance in the seating of the parents that recognizes the fact that these parents are families that are critical in the forming of this one new family. Then there's the groom who enters first. Matthew five twenty three through 32 is a beautiful picture of the husband and the wife and of marriage. But it declares it is a picture of Christ and his church. The bride, the church, the groom, Jesus. 
And in that picture, the groom, our Lord, enters first. In our tradition, the groom enters first as the ceremony begins. And it's just a reminder of the groom, Christ, who enters. The father escorts the bride and gives her away. In Jewish tradition, it was the father's duty to present his daughter in marriage as a pure virgin bride. By bringing her down the aisle, he was saying, I have sought to love God. And I want her to love God. And as I bring her down this aisle, I'm just saying to you who are here and before God's presence, and I've done my best to be the father that he has called me to be. And as he comes, as who gives this woman to be married to this man? And he says, her mother and I do. As a way of the parents saying, um, our hearts have been with God and we are in favor of this union that is about to occur. All that is significant. It is a joining of, of families into a family and that they agree. Then there's the white wedding dress. Of course, the picture of the white wedding dress is a picture of purity of the bride and of respect and deep reverence to God. And it also reminds us in Revelation 19, 7 and 8 of God's saints being dressed in clothes of righteousness, fine linen, bright and clean. The joining the right hands. As I said, in that ancient covenant, they would come and they would join hands, they would cut palms, and as the, the blood and the hands intermingled, it was a vow, a way of saying, we're joining our lives, we're joining what we have, we're joining who we are, we want to join together, and that's why we are here. As a bride and groom comes, and as they prepare to partake of their vows, they look toward one another, and they join hands. And by those joining of hands, they're saying, we want to join our lives together fully. There's the exchanging of the rings. Of course, many ceremonies we hear as you prepare to join the rings. There's the picture of the ring being circular, so it's supposed to be a never-ending love. One that never ends. Made of precious metals. But there's also another picture of the ring in ancient times. The king, with his ring, he would use it as with a wax seal in order to verify a document. To put the sign of approval of the king upon that law. To stamp his agreement upon that ordinance. And so by exchanging rings, it is also a picture of the groom and the bride saying, we want our relationship to be under the authority of God. We want to submit our lives to Jesus Christ and in exchanging rings, we're not just committing our love to one another, we're committing our love to Jesus, to the Heavenly Father. The bridal veil, the next one. And of course, as we think of her and her beauty, the bride as she comes down, we think this is her time to shine. For people to look at her. And of course the veil is. Oh man they're going to lift that veil. And you're going to see her shining bright countenance. Her face. As she prepares to wed her love. 
And the picture of the veil is it's as the veil is lifted up, access to the bride is there with her husband. It reminds us of the temple veil. Remember when Jesus died on the cross and the temple veil split from top to bottom and we were giving free and perfect access to God. And our prayers and, and the covenant was complete. When the cross took care of the sacrifice that we needed, the one sacrifice of Jesus, well, there's the access between the husband and the wife where there is the chance for real intimacy to really begin to Know each other, as it says in the King James, and, and, and to begin to grow together. The veil's a picture of that. And the pronouncement of husband and wife. That time of pronouncement of saying, I present to you, Mr. and Mrs. It's a chance to say, now I want you to recognize this person as living in this new covenant vow. Because this now has marked their lives. In the presentation of the couple that we do in the wedding ceremony. You notice in uh, the life of Abram. His name would be changed to Abraham. As God would speak in his covenant with Abraham. And take letters from his own name Yahweh. To add to Abram's name. As a sign of covenant. The name changed to Abraham. That God says, I'm in covenant with you. And so through the name change, it is a way of saying, I'm in covenant with you. As my spouse, as my lifetime partner. And there's the reception. And of course, Kingsway, we always joke and talk about when we meet, we eat. <laughs> it happens, I know. Um, after a wedding, typically there is a reception. There is a time to celebrate. Hard to celebrate not have food. And so the picture in those days, and it's still often true today, is that there is a reception following that beautiful bringing together of the husband and the bride, where those who love them can share food together and just enjoy being together. And of course, it's also a picture back to Revelation 19 of the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's that picture. There's that significance. You know, one day, think about how it'll all work. But we're going to feast with our brothers and sisters who we haven't even seen or met yet, but we will. And you talk about a party. They act like churches can't party. We're going to party. At the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's beautiful. A cutting and feeding of the cake. And we've seen sometimes that can get dangerous. With grooms and brides. But the real picture is. Hey I, I, I want to take care of you. As I feed you this cake. You can trust me to take care of you. And so what is really being said. In the sharing of the cake. Is this is not all about. You honey have to meet my needs. You married me to take care of me. That's not the attitude. Of the Christian marriage. The attitude of the Christian marriage is. I want to serve you honey. I want to love you. I want to be sensitive to you. I want to be aware of your needs. And what's beautiful about that, when the husband does that and when the wife does that, they're able to meet each other's needs in the power of Christ. It's just a beautiful picture. And then the last one here is the throwing of the rice. <laughs> Which is a picture in the ancient times of fruitfulness. 
of blessing. So the picture here is, man, I want you to have a wedding. In modern terminology, that rocks. I want you to have the kind of wedding where other couples are going to say, I want to be like them. Look how they love each other. Look how they still hold hands. Look how they wink at each other. The throwing the rice in. I want you to have that kind of relationship, that kind of marriage. And then, of course, the second meaning of it, uh, it did say in Genesis, be fruitful, multiply. Have some youngins. Have some children that you'll love and that you'll learn about God and His love for you. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Now, I've spent time just trying to briefly go through all these traditions. You know, I encourage us not just with weddings, but with everything we do, let's stop and ask, why do I do this? What was the reason this started? What does it mean to me? And for us who are in Christ, we're called everything we do to do it for the glory of God. So our question is, how does this bring glory to God? And as I do this, if I'm not bringing glory to you, help me, Lord. Move me where I do bring glory to you. When I do this, maybe there would be a, a, a renewed call to marriage and to weddings if we got back to what it means to have a wedding. We don't know. May God just stir us so that He'll work in us to bring us back in that covenant relationship that not only changes us, but can change the whole community around us as we catch sight of him i mentioned ephesians chapter 5 as it gives that beautiful picture of the husband and the wife their christian marriage come down to verse 31 and it says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh but the very next verse verse 32 says This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. So what's been happening? God's been giving this picture of something we can't understand. Because many of us have this deep longing. To have the love of our lives with us on this journey called life. And he goes through that connection that we long for. And he says, I want to have that kind of connection with you as my child. That Jesus has made us connected in a love type relationship. And he's called us to think of that and remember that through what we call the Lord's Supper. And as we get ready to close the service, I want us to celebrate this mystery. Christ and the church. As we come, and, and, and uh, I'm going to ask Alan to come in a minute as, as We prepare the table. We'll have the bread. You come up and take a piece of the bread. And it's his broken body. And then dip it in the cup. Signifies his blood shed for you. For me. And as we take that. As we eat of that precious bread. And juice that signifies Jesus. His ultimate sacrifice. 
may we remember on this day called Love Day what love is. Let's pray and then we'll share that together. Father, I come to you with my brothers and sisters who are present today. Father, real love is found in Jesus. and Maybe someone here has never turned their life to Jesus. There's never a bad time. I pray that this might be the day. Oh, Father, may they just say, Jesus, enter my heart. Forgive me. Make me new. I want to know your love, Lord. Father, if you're speaking anybody's heart in that manner, may they pray to receive you. And Father, as we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup, your body and your blood, Father, I pray that we think about what that is. What that means as we talk about empty ceremony. May this not be an empty ceremony. But may you, Lord, enable us to remember your perfect love. Guide us as we celebrate this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Alan, will you come?